have faith in God is not a stagnant state. It's a journey. As a believer, we should grow in our knowledge of God and His Word. Walk with Alan Cutting and many other believers as together we walk the believer's journey. Aloha and welcome again to the Believer's Journey and thank you for joining us today. We're going to go back and have another questions on the fly. This will be our fifth one now. And joining us is the famous Angela Montez, <laughs> who will be our moderator. Uh, hello. Hi. Uh, more infamous, I think. <laughs> Quite famous. But I think you like it because they give you a hard time. Yeah. He likes well, the torture. I, I like that. <laughs> um, before we get started, though, I want to um, say to everybody in our audience, if you could... You know, while you're watching this, if you could please subscribe to our uh, YouTube channel, I would really appreciate it. It does a few things for me. It helps me to maintain an and, uh, area at the top of the page when people type in. And for you, uh, if you're looking for my uh, videos and so forth, you don't have to type them in every time. Just get onto your account. You'll see subscribe. You click on it, and there comes my channel, and we're all set to go. So if you could do that, I'd appreciate it. And... Um, as we get started, I want to ask uh, Angela, she's been on a few times, and uh, I want you to tell us where you work and what you do, because you work for a nonprofit and, and does a lot of good things, and our audience really hasn't heard a lot about what you do, but maybe one time you kind of slipped it in. Yeah, sure. Thank you. And so I apologize, because Alan asked me for homework last night, and I failed him. I went to bed, and I've had IT issues all morning at work, so... I did not get him the blurb that he needed to introduce me. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm Angela Montez, and I am uh, one of the two nurse consultants for the National Service Office for Nurse Family Partnership and Child First. Um, I represent uh, the state of Texas. Um, we have uh, 41 states our program lives in, and there are 28 sites, 27 sites, I'm sorry, in Texas. Um, my co-partner Sarah Marsh who is amazing used to work for the state um, she's a great brain so she covers north and west Texas and I cover south and east I'm sorry she covers north and east Texas and I cover south and west um, so typically what my program um, it was developed by Dr. David Olds back in the 70s um, he did three different trial studies with moms first time moms who um, were pregnant and the studies contained of um, one was just a, a woman who went to a doctor um, for her regular OB checkups. Another one was uh, a woman who's pregnant going to her checkups, but having a kind of like a social worker, parents as teachers kind of um, facilitator following her. And then they had one with um, a pregnant mom who was doing her OB visits and as well had a nurse home visitor. Um, and in those study trials, they found that women who had the nurse home visitors had greater outcomes, had better outcomes. Um, they found that the maternal health and infant health was greater because um, they were getting the best evidence-based practices on how to care for themselves. They also found that it had a 52% reduction in child abuse and neglect, which is why the state of Texas invested in nurse family partnership as a primary prevention model for child abuse and neglect. Um, and that mainly has to do with we become a support system. We teach them about... Um, growth and development of the baby. Um, we teach them, you know, positive discipline techniques because we tend to discipline the way our parents discipline. And not that there's anything really wrong with that, but now that we know better, we try to do better, right? Because we know the effects that some things have on kids now long term. Um, and, uh, you know, and trauma is really big. We hear a lot about it in the news and different spots about how, you know, kids with trauma and being in foster care and CPS and our model is supposed to help prevent them going to the system, or if we do have families who sometimes we have to make referrals and they do enter into the CPS system, um, we walk through them to make sure that they maintain um, custody of their child, as well as helping them get the necessary resources that they need to, in order to parent effectively. Um, the nurses stay with them for like two and a half years. Uh, it's completely free. It's paid by the state. Um, it's an amazing, amazing program. Um, I was in labor and delivery and maternal health for, gosh, almost 20 years. And You were in labor for 20 years? I was in labor for 20 years. That's Isabel. Oh, no. 
I worked as a labor and delivery nurse for almost 20 years. <laughs> yeah, no. My labor loves are, you know, getting ready to graduate. <laughs> um, yeah, so anyways, they. Uh, I just found that there was something missing, you know, watching women come in to deliver. And they really wanted to keep their baby. They had all these social, economic um, issues that just couldn't be solved in one visit to the hospital and delivering their baby. They needed much more. And I wanted to do more than that and have a bigger touch. Um, we talk about being the hands and feet of Jesus, right? Modeling behavior. And um, Nurse Family Partnership does that. It models the behavior for a lot of these moms who may not have had that kind of role model growing up um, or are unsure because we have a lot of social media now and a lot of TV and tell us how we should and shouldn't be a parent. There's a lot of comparisons and... Um, you know, being that one person, and so Nurse Family Partnership does that, that nurse home visitor models um, what it is to be a mom, what it is to be a woman, um, how to set goals for yourself, um, because we know that every woman's desire when they have a child is to be the best mom they can possibly be. And there is program works by having um, tapping into that woman's innate desire to protect her child. When you tap into that woman's innate desire to protect her child, then she makes better choices for herself and makes better choices for her child. Now you've mentioned the mom a lot. Uh, do you work with the fathers? We do, actually. So um, it wasn't, the studies weren't done on the dads, um, but we also know that if we have an intact family and we can help support, then um, the child has better outcomes. So we do. I actually had a couple that I worked with in San Antonio. I'm going to give a shout out to Alaska and Jimmy Martinez. Um, <laughs> I love them. I had them. Um, and we did a couple of interviews on TV and newspaper with them. But they started out, um, they had just graduated high school and uh, were going into college and uh, into community college. And Alaska found out she's pregnant. And um, she uh, signed up for Nurse Family Partnership. And her husband, which he was her boyfriend at the time, they ended up getting married in the program. But... Um, he joined every single visit with her. And so I was able to work with both of them. So they were on board with parenting. And so um, one of the things, too, is that there's not a lot of help for dads. Um, and there's a stigma for dads asking for help because we expect men to know how to parent. Um, and they don't. They know just as much as we do, right? We put a lot of focus as the parent being the mom, but the dad's a parent, too. So um, we try to work with the dad as well. We work on relationships um, how to have a healthy relationship. What does that look like? Because for many of us, including myself, I didn't grow up with that kind of model. Um, so if we help them have that and how to co-parent effectively, then you get better outcomes for mom and for baby. And you may, you know, keep that family together, which would be great. There's such a high rate of divorce. Yeah, I know. Like my family, uh, I, I remember for my dad, it was all about uh, going to work and bringing home mm -hmm. the money to provide mm -hmm. and I guess all the raising was up to my mom mm -hmm. unless it was discipline you know I got disciplined a lot by both but right. I didn't have a lot of the nurturing from my father because he was gone when I got up from to go to school and he was gone before I went to bed because he worked all day and night he was one of these workaholics yeah and he really didn't become much of a uh well, I guess it was when he became a grandfather, he understood, you know, the parent value. Um, mm -hmm. He actually started helping raising two of his grandchildren. Uh, and I thought that helped him a whole lot to understand that. And he became more involved at that mm -hmm. point. Yeah, I agree. I think um, it's hard to know if you've had that model, what, it, what does it look like? And for a lot of men, you know, that is that. They have been taught that the way to be a good husband and a good father is to make sure that you have, you know, food on the table and you're out there working. And um, then everything else is left up to the mom, which is kind of the shift where we are now where women are in the workforce. And there's this huge thing like women have to work beside it. And then they also have to come home and, and parent the kids and they have to do all the housework. And it puts a lot of stress. Um, and so how do we teach our men how to be parents? That's by educating them. And we try, we try as much as possible to work with the dads as well. Um, and when you said the word discipline, I love that because discipline means something different to everybody. Um, a lot of times people feel like discipline is means punishment, but to discipline 
is to teach, which is why we have disciples. And I, mean, I it's totally all agree. That <laughs> I totally agree. However, in my house, the discipline was a switch, a hanger, or a, or a stick. It was mine too. <laughs> but yeah, all that learned, all I learned really from that was how to avoid pain and how to run faster than my mom. Um, so <laughs> I was good at track. Um, yeah. So, but we actually want to teach our children why what they're doing is not okay and how to be. Um, a contributing member of society, how to be kind and compassionate and good. Now, is your organization a Christian organization or, or not? No, it's not. Okay. Um, it's just a national service organization. Um, okay. So it's open to anyone. Um, and they, again, there's three, in Bear County, there's three programs that you, University Health Systems, Catholic Charities, and the Children's Shelter have all three of those programs. Um, and they've been wildly successful. The Children's Shelter actually holds the second largest program in the state of Texas and serves the most clients around Texas in that program. Um, it's uh, had great outcomes. Um, I love it, and it's dear to my heart because I'm all about yeah. family. And I don't, I don't mean to uh, minimize any program that is not a Christian program because I think it's important that we instill family values, mm-hmm. you know, regardless in society. Um, I know that for me, uh, and, and I, I've, I've said this before, I, I don't like to counsel. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I've gone to certain churches to work, they've asked me to. And, and so, but I do know coming from a biblical perspective, there are a lot of biblical teachings and, and uh, mm-hmm. about how to be a, a good mother, how to be a good father, how to be a good child, mm-hmm. or, um, a son or daughter, and how the family needs to function. There's a lot of really solid stuff in there. So in my understanding of, of how I counsel families or people, individuals, a lot comes from those teachings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we whether whether our organization is uh, a Christian organization or not a Christian organization, I think we still pull from the values because they're absolutes. Mm-hmm. And we talk about the father. I did a sermon one time on Father's Day. What is a good father? You know, I told I said a good father is somebody who loves their wife. Basically, and went yeah. on with that. And I agree with the same way with their mother. How how does it be a good mother? Someone who honors their husband. And if you, you show that and become that, when that child grows up, because the the fall pitfalls and the things a child goes through, by the time it grows up, what does it do? What do they do? They become married and start their own family. Well, what do they have to go by? They have to go by the fact that how did their father and mother inter- interact? Did mm-hmm. they love one another? Did they not love one another? Did they fight? Did they hit each other? You know, what, what was it all about? And I think a lot has to do with the fact that, you know, a man and a woman needs to learn to love and respect one another for the benefit of their children because they're going to become the next society that's mm-hmm. out there in the generation. And that's important. Yeah, I agree. And we do, like our nurses do talk about spirituality because one of the things that definitely I think every human being and one of the most important things you can teach your children is resilience. Um, being resilient, being able, because you're going to have things happen in life. It's just inevitable. I mean, it's hills and valleys. You're going to have tough spots. Um, and as a parent, I want to know that my kids are resilient enough to be able to handle it when I'm not here. I need to know that they're going to be okay. Yeah. And so that we top into that resiliency, and part of resiliency is spiritual. And so some of our nurses who are um, Christian, they do talk about even their own faith. Sometimes they feel comfortable with the client as well, and they're you know, depending on the agency, they can do so. Um, but you talk about also, I think, when we talk about positive discipline, it fits on that biblical principle as well. When we talk about spare the rod, spoil the child. Um, and I was in a pediatric trauma conference, and the speaker said it so perfectly. She said, when we talk about that, a lot of people miss have a misconception of it because they think then that gives them the right to, to spank and to hit. They've got to do this in order to discipline their child. But when you look at the flock, the shepherd with the sheep, he doesn't beat the sheep with the rod. What does he do? He brings that stray sheep in with the crook closer to him. And that's what Christ does with us. He brings us closer to us. And that's the same thing we do with our children. When they're misbehaving or they're you know, having issues, we curve the rod around them, our arm around them. We bring them closer so that we can teach them the ways in which they need to go. Not yeah. to beat them with it. And I'm, and I'm kind of in between all of that. Um, you know, I don't know anybody who's 
perfect at all of this, but no. I mean, I believe that because <laughs> I was I was hit a lot as a child, and and because my dad got angry, I got hit. Mm -hmm. and my mom got angry, I got hit. So it was it was there was no learning involved. It was just a matter other than you know I better not do this. I'm going to get hit. Right. But when I became uh, a father, when I started training children, it was more like you know. I'll give them a couple swats that aren't too hard, but hard enough to sting, but sit there without anything in my hand afterwards and let them know I love them. Mm -hmm. But before I even do that, I said, do you know why you're getting, you're getting a swat? Mm -hmm. And almost all the time, well, no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, well, let me explain it to you, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. And so it was, it was a teaching time. You know, mm -hmm. um, I have to tell you this one little thing real quick and we'll get on. But I, um, <clears throat> I, uh, I was married to a lady who had three children. She passed away and her son one time came in to get a spanking, you know, a little swat. So he put a pillow in his pants. <laughs> it was so funny. And I saw that he had the pillow and I think he was thought he was fooling me. Yeah. So I, I swatted the pillow, you know, and I and it obviously didn't hurt him at all. I knew that. So I let it and I let it go at that and we talked and he said he laughed. He was ah ha ha it didn't hurt. <laughs> I says, what do you mean? He says, Well he told me it was well now we're gonna have to have it real. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna let him go just on the fact that he was creative enough to do this yeah. until he laughed at me and said, Well, you know, I didn't hurt. Yeah. And then, but but anyway. I did too. I, you know, I did um, spank my girls on occasion. It was very rare. Um, and so I'm not saying that that's bad, you know, all that piece, because it, it really, then we're, we're tapping into people that, well, what they did was bad. It's just that we know more now about how to, but you said that you, you brought them in and, and talked to them. Right. What I'm talking about is when the mom and dad get really angry and they just start hitting and swatting. Because oh. then you, you don't realize with that adrenaline rush how hard you're hitting. And what kind of damage you can possibly do. Absolute, and that's different. Absolutely. I was raising my nephew. And it's so funny because if I was really angry with him and I, I, I don't, and he knew he was going to either get uh, spanking or he's going to get pun, uh, grounded, mm -hmm. I'd, I'd tell him, you need to go to your room. I'll be in later. Yeah. Because I knew I was so angry. So what I would do is I would just send him to the room, I'd go in the refrigerator, the freezer, get some ice cream and sit down and eat my bowl of ice cream. <laughs> it made me real nice, real comfortable. I was okay. I'd walk in. In the meantime, I'm sure he's all yeah. shaking and upset, you know, as I walk in there. And, and so we talk and yeah. and so forth. And there were times I'd give him a spanking. One time when I was going to ground him, I said, you're grounded for a week. He said, well, can I have a spanking instead? <laughs> Why? Because I want to go out this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> So, but it's funny. It's just how that it works. But it's all about training. It's all about teaching. It is. I totally agree with that. It's just that I think if we lose our cool, lose our temper, we're no longer training and teaching. We're no. just getting out our anger. And yeah. you can do that on the wall and hurt your, your own fist, you know, right. if you want to do that. Right. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I'm, and then long, I guess in the short story, that's what it is. It's a, an amazing program for first-time moms. Yeah. And the families, just in general. I mean, worked with grandmothers and grandparents too because they're part of the family so of course if you live in moldova or you live in russia you don't want to put your fist into the wall because they've made their walls out of concrete blocks ouch that would really hurt that would really hurt <laughs> <laughs> so anyway let's all right let's move on let's to roll questions. into questions okay. so <clears throat> alan yes are you ready <laughs> Okay, so, um, okay, number one. This is from the Philippines. <sighs> is Catholic Church or Protestant Church the correct church? <laughs> That's just totally loaded question. It really Inquiring is. Inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> um, and, and I'm under the, you know, because I know I've heard for years and years and years, that I think the Catholic Church used to say, we are the one true church. That was their phrase. Um, however, I've been in a lot of Protestant churches, whether it be a, a Nazarene or a Methodist or a Baptist church, where there are a lot of wrong things being taught. Mm -hmm. So I do not believe it's the church that has the problem. Well, they do have the problem because none of them are, are absolutely perfect. None of them. And I don't care right. what denomination you want to come from. There is a flaw somewhere because we're imperfect people. 
to think that we can create the perfect church or think we can create the perfect world out of coming from imperfection is ludicrous. So basically, when I look at the Catholic Church, I see some good things and I see some bad things and I see some wrong things. I look at the Protestant Church, it's the same thing. I see all those same things. It's, it's the individual relationship that you have or the people have within that church. So um, I, was, well, I was teaching one time, and this was in Hawaii, mm-hmm. and I had uh, junior high kids come running to me and some girls, and, and they never called you by your name there. It's always Mr., 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 Mr. And these three girls come running into my classroom, and they say, is it true that if you go to a Catholic church, you go to hell? And I said, well, what idiot told you that? Of course, it was the teacher down there calling, don't ever tell her that, because then I'm in trouble. Mm-hmm. But I, it's, I told her it's not about the church, because one of the little girls, that's what did she did. She went to the Catholic church, because her parents did. So she felt like, well, she's going to go to hell when the teacher told her that. Mm-hmm. I said, no, it's your relationship with Jesus. What kind of relationship do you have with him? It's a personal relationship. If he's the Lord of your life and he's your Savior, then obviously it doesn't matter what church you go to. And and I really believe that's really the, the key answer. Um, I've seen some Protestant churches that are really amazing, that are wonderful. And I've seen some Protestant churches that have some terrible problems, whether it be from the leadership or from the people itself. I've seen both. And so I think it hasn't doesn't have to do with the denomination or the church itself. It has to do with the person individually. So then I'm going to throw you a curveball on this because I grew up in that church that had that same belief, right? And I don't believe it. <laughs> so no, I don't want to get emails. <laughs> but um, this is the perspective that the church was coming from that I grew up in is that we they bow down to graven images and so then they're committing some of the you know the greater sins so speak on that if you if you're able right. to so and I've I've taught I've taught in a Catholic high school I mean so I've, I've been to the Catholic high school and, and they're the church that I know of they have the statues you know the saints and they have Mary and all this and I, um, I've been asked the question, is it wrong to have statutes in your church? No, it's not. However, it's not right to pray to those statues because they're not God. And the Bible says, God says to worship only me. So if we're going to worship only God himself, then we cannot be worshiping Mary. We cannot be worshiping, you know, St. Peter or any other you know, saint or, or, or statue, mm-hmm. because that takes away the whole idea that we're worshiping God only. Even in the Ten Commandments, it talks about first two commandments, worshiping only God only, and then not worshiping other idols. And when you're praying to an, an idol, I mean, they're just another person who's died and are probably with God. And they're doing that intercession. <clears throat> They're interceding on your behalf to God. Well, not I necessarily. That's that's not that's not a Bible written thing. That's a man made thing. Mm-hmm. So what we know of that is an intercessor for us to God is either an angel or it's the Holy Spirit. It never says that people are our intercessors, mm-hmm. and so that's just a made up thing for mankind. So when we it, when we decide that we can pray to a saint because they're, gee, I lost my. My wallet, so I'll say to pray to St. Anthony. I think that's the correct one. You know, well, why are we praying to him? He's not God. He's just another person who is probably an okay person mm-hmm. who died and now is is not the intercessor, but it's going to be the Holy Spirit. And we can go directly straight to God himself. We don't need mm-hmm. to go to that. And if we're having a hard time, the Bible says we can go, the Holy Spirit will take over and help us. Yeah. But it never of, says people. Yeah, and that kind of happened with when Jesus... Um, was crucified and the tabernacle split, right? And because they used to be intercessors in the Old Testament, correct? Am well, I, tell me. I'm, I'm, in in the Bible, uh, as far as Jesus on the cross, the veil tore. It was in the mm-hmm. temple. Mm-hmm. Okay, and what that signifies is the fact that we no longer have to go to the priest because in some churches, your Orthodox churches or your Catholic church, they have. Um, where you go to the priest, and the priest goes to 
God, basically. And in the, the temple or in the tabernacle of the, in the Old Testament, you would go to the altar, okay, and you would bring your your offering, and the, the priest would take the blood of that offering and go to, into the Holy of Holies, which uh, they could only do once a year, one well, high priest only, and those sins would be taken care of through the intercessor, which was the high priest. Mm -hmm. Since the the um, veil tore, uh, signifies that we don't we no longer need the high priest. We can go straight to God mm -hmm. directly, and that's the key factor. And the reason why we can do that is because Jesus went to the cross, died for our sin, and He now is a high priest. Who basically we go to Him, and we can read that in in the book of Hebrews. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's the struggle that I still have wrapping my mind around within how. And I don't know enough about Catholicism, so y'all are welcome to like chime in on it. Um, but, you know, that piece of like, so then what's right and what's not right? And I'm wondering if that's where that question might be coming from, too. Cause, um, well, I know that in the Philippines that there's a strong Catholic following in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. And I know that there's uh, been a, a big push for evangelism, evangel evangelical Christian churches or Protestant churches in, in the Philippines. So I don't know if they're mm -hmm. having a struggle, uh, you know, or or person is wondering, gee, I don't know what what is what. It's like in Moldova, you have the Orthodox Church, which I find almost identical to the Catholic Church. I know they're going to hate me for saying that, but that's basically they have the same kind of fundamental things. Mm -hmm. And now you have the Evangelical Church, which this church is seeing the Evangelicals as an, a cult. Mm -hmm. You know, just like the Catholic Church sees Protestant churches as a cult. So basically, that's where you have that problem. So the people in like Moldova, you know, who are evangelicals, they're saying, well, no, we're not. We're, we still believe in the Bible and Jesus is, is the Lord of all and mm -hmm. so forth and so on. Same belief systems. The difference is in, in the one church, there's not a lot of action and practice and lifestyle where the evangelicals are saying, you need to live out the life. You can't just sit behind close doors and think and do nothing and think that you're okay. Mm -hmm. And that's really where the difference is. Right. That'd be interesting um, as a topic for one of your shows. Hint, hint. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I Does anybody know a speaker that could come here and talk to Alan about that? Please, please text him. <laughs> as we, as we get different speakers. Yeah. I actually, what I do is, is I, when I invite a speaker, I ask them, what is their topic? Yeah. Their biblical topic. They would like their passion about, and that's what we usually talk on. Yeah, that's something I'm so very interested in and in finding out, you know, because I'm, you know, for some of us, we're a black and a white kind of person, like it's this or it's that. And what I found as I'm getting older, I'm not old, but older, there's a whole lot of gray out there. And so trying to sift through that gray and make it black and white, which I know is not possible, but I really like to have answers to some of these questions. And I don't know. I'm curious about that too. So, well, we have to be careful of the gray because there there are some things that are kind of gray which are okay, and there's some things that are not okay, mm -hmm. and we can't water down those things just because we want to. Yeah, because yeah. they're gray, and so we can say, well, you know, this church says it's okay. Well, we're putting our dependence on that church rather than God Himself, and that's why we have these problems. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm glad. <laughs> I don't often agree with him, but I do today. <laughs> okay, so number two. See, I told you we wouldn't get more than like seven questions. Okay, this is from Asia. Um, is Jesus an angel? We had missionaries tell us from their Bible that Morani, did I say that right? Morani. Morani. Morani, yep. Was okay. a prophet and became an angel. Okay, so I guess the Mormon Church is now infiltrate, infiltrating into Asia. So that must because they're the only ones that have the angel Moroni. Oh, okay. The the problem is this: the and that's in the Book of Mormon, uh, you have Moroni, which is I believe the son of Mormon, and Moroni was a prophet, and I can't think of or pronounce Nephi, and it's not Nephi. He's a prophet of a particular family group. And when he died, he became an angel. Well, the problem with that is um, we don't become angels, mm -hmm. and that's not biblical. I know that the Mormon church believes that the translations of our Bible through time, especially since 
after Jesus has been corrupted, and that's why they say theirs is overshadows the Bible because of corruption. However, the Old Testament was not this way, and since we have um, the book of Isaiah found in the um, uh, in Israel, you know, in the mm -hmm. caves, mm -hmm. we have most of the book, and it's basically all the same. So we know it wasn't corrupted. So when we look at that and look at the Old Testament, and we have a lot of writings from the Old Testament that are pre-Jesus, okay? We can say that it's not corrupted. Therefore, when we look at that, angels are angels and people are people. Mm -hmm. God created the angels, okay, and he created people. When we uh, die according to, you know, uh, Judaism, we live with God eternally, okay? When we die as Christianity, we die and live with Jesus forever or God forever. So it's mm -hmm. the same thing. We don't change miraculously. You know, we're created as who we are, just like angels are created as who they are. Mm -hmm. And so to, to say that Moroni, as a person, died and became an angel is not biblical. It's incorrect. It's bad teaching. And it's only, uh, I don't know of other of other religions that teach this, um, hmm. but it's really false teaching. It's not biblical at all. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. It makes me also think of just even in our own, just in our own secular world, talking about, you know, when people die, they become angels, you had an angel in heaven, you know, and it's just the phrase, but, you know, you wonder about that too. And I think it makes us feel better knowing that people do that. But yeah, I, yeah. Well, anyways, and, and totally I, off the topic. I squirreled. And I will say, <laughs> however, in Hebrews, it does say that we need to be aware of the way that we treat others because we may be treat we may be entertaining an angel. Okay. Mm. I do believe that there are angels who have come to help people, um, teach people on a short term basis or uh, give a word of warning or praise or whatever, or instruction to people. However, those are angels that have come and gone back and take the form of people, but mm. they're still angels and, they, and, uh, and that's all. Mm. It's not the other way around. It's not that people actually become an angel. Uh, and we've never heard of a person becoming an angel because angels don't look like humans in the first place. Right. Angels have, uh, if you're one, you have six wings and so forth and so on. And so you have a totally different look. In fact, angels aren't very good looking, according to the Bible. <laughs> well, in Hollywood, they are. Well, I know. They can be pretty scary looking if all of a sudden one popped into our room. But basically, we need to be careful of the teaching. There, the angels can come and angels can, just like Abraham and Joshua. They had angels that came to them and talked yeah. to them and left. Huh. Okay. There was angels that came to Lot and warned him and left. So we need to know that that happens, but those are still angels. Those are not people, and they're not angels that just become people and they live like that forever and ever, just like people don't go and live like angels forever and ever. Right, right. Hmm. Interesting. And the other fact is, why would one person become an angel and all the rest of them, they say in their, in their religion, uh, live in a heaven somewhere with their family and so on? Why don't they become angels? It doesn't make sense that one could or would and the rest wouldn't. It, usually there's more, it's, it's consistent. And, mm -hmm. and I don't find consistency when you when you have the differences like that. Yeah, I think that's just that thought. And I don't know, maybe it has been. And I wonder where it came from. It just is this thought of like, and I remember seeing Family Circus cartoons because I love cartoons growing up. And I still, as an adult, look at the cartoons. But... Um, <laughs> Family circus had that, you know, where there's the angels up there. And so I just always had this image. I don't now as much, but um, held that image of like when people die, they gained their wings, right? And they were all angels in heaven and they're all in the clouds. And of course, looking down, I wondered how they didn't fall through the clouds. And, you know, they're now I know they're gaseous and Hermes and all that other stuff. But, you know, just having that, that uh, image that that's what happens when people die. Well, I think we're fascinated with, with the unknown or the yeah, unseen. Yeah, I agree. And I think like, that's why the angel the angel topic gets so much attention. Mm -hmm. And so one of the problems is, is that we, we come up with our own opinions or ideas and 
Some people actually make it like it's fact, but we come up with our own opinions or ideas and basically throw it out there. And it makes us feel good, so we'll go ahead and follow that kind of thinking rather mm -hmm. than what does the Bible really say about angels? I mean, it has a lot to say about them, but mm -hmm. do we really take the time to read and search the scriptures to find out what angels really do? I mean, mm -hmm. angels are messengers. That's what they basically are, and you have two types of angels, yeah. seraphim you know, and cherubim. And basically, they have different duties. They have different things they do. Yeah. I had this freakish experience um, when I was, because I volunteer at, at Church Under the Bridge. It's Communities Under the Bridge. We're doing our own thing. Anyways, so I'm there every Sunday. And um, uh, it was, I think it was Easter. They did anointing at CBC. Did I tell you this story? I don't think I did. And so I just, it hit me sitting in there, like, when we did the anointing. And I thought, this is what I need to do tonight when I go to Church Under the Bridge. So I'd gotten some oils and, you know, talked to the pastor there, and he was good with it. And we had a church. Um, Fellowship of San Antonio was there, so Phil. Um, and I asked him if he might want to do that as well because we had a huge amount of volunteers for some reason. So we were out there doing that, and just kind of people wanted to pray and be anointed. We did that over them. And um <laughs> So I anointed this one guy, um, and I had never seen him before because we have a lot of regulars. And he said, uh, after I finished praying over him, he said, he looked up at me with his amber eyes, and he said, how do you know when you're going to find your soulmate? And I looked at him, and I'm like, great, this man's hitting on me. I'm like, how am I going to get this? Like, <laughs> awesome. So I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm kind of leaving that up to God. I think he'll probably show me. And he goes, no, no. You know how you're going to know? He goes, you're going to look at him in the eye, and you're going to have a connection so deep that you've never had before. And I was like, okay, where is this going? And he said, you're not to court until you find him. And I'm like, who says the word court? Like, <laughs> we're in like 2021. Who says court? And this is a young, kind of young guy in his 20s. Um, and then he just walked away. And I thought, that was so odd. I've never seen him since. But just that one moment, and I thought, holy cow. I'm like, was that? I mean, that that's interesting. Well, yeah. So I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm like, Gord, who said that? So sorry. I feel like there probably was some sort of intervention right there at that point. Yeah. But I don't know. Anyways, it was interesting. All right. I'll ask you question number three. Okay. So, well, trying to see. Uh, I'm going to do this question first. It was my question four. How do you know which religion is correct, since we're kind of on that topic? What is from? This is from Eastern Europe. Okay. Um, if we're talking about religion in the fact that we're talking about orthodox opposed to evangelical, um, Either one could be fine. There, there's not one that's incorrect if you, like I said earlier, if your relationship with Jesus is, is on, on spot on. If you're following the teachings of Jesus, if you're doing what the Bible says, okay? If you're living the life, then it's not about the religion. Of course, I don't think Christianity, and I teach Christianity, is not a religion. It's a, it's a relationship with, with, with God mm -hmm. and it's a relationship with other believers. And you can be in the Orthodox Church and live that way, and you can be in the Evangelical Church and live that way. It, it doesn't matter. So if they're talking about, because there is, in Eastern Europe, there is that, that um, battle between the two, okay? So if that's what they're looking at, mm -hmm. it, it's not a matter of the church itself. It's a matter of you. Are you, you could go to either one if you're living the life and the teachings and following the teachings of Jesus. If you're not, then it doesn't matter which one's right because you're wrong, mm -hmm. you know, and that's what it is. Now, if you're looking at other religions, as I see them, like if you're looking at Hinduism or Buddhism or Shintoism or uh, Mormonism or um, Jehovah Witness, I don't consider Jehovah Witness in the Christian category um, because of some of their, their followings. But if you look at all those, what makes a following okay islam is another one if you look at a following what i i did when i was young because i wondered what is the correct one that was my first question and what i started to do was read i started reading the book of mormon the pearl of great price i started reading 
you know, the Quran. I started reading these different books, but I started seeing fallacies. I see, started seeing the inconsistencies in teaching and things that didn't seem right at all. So when you read those things mm-hmm. and you find that, you can almost eliminate right off the bat, you know. Um, so I could eliminate Hinduism real easily. I mean, really easily with Hinduism. I can eliminate Mormonism real easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can eliminate uh, Islam really easily because there's a lot of things that are inaccurate or they conflict with each other, the, the writings with each other. Um, I mean, Joseph Smith put in his book, you know, the fact that, you know, um, God, we humans can become a God. He also said that, you know, God is only a spirit. Well, which one is it? Mm-hmm. He, he's, he's obviously, you know, the Bible teaches he's a spirit. It doesn't teach he's a, he's a man or human becoming a God. So, but Joseph Smith said that. So somewhere in his writing, he's incorrect. The Bible, as I read it, and I don't mean I read a, a verse and say, oh, yeah, that's good. Oh, well, this one's bad. When I read it in, consistent, in a consistent way, I realized there's no mistakes in that. Well, how can that happen when it's written not by one man, mm-hmm. not by two, two or three guys, not over five years, but of 40 different guys over a period of, what, 1,500 or more years? Mm-hmm. Or, or is it 2,500 years? I mean, think about it. If you go in a room of 25 people and you whisper in one person's ear, what's it going to come out at the 25th person? Something totally different. Well, if the Bible is like that and it comes out exactly the same, that should bring your idea like, well, there's something different about this book, mm-hmm. you know? And so for me, the right religion, okay, there's no right religion. That's really my answer. What is right and correct is a relationship with, with Jesus, a relationship with God. The Judaism, pure Judaism, not Judaism as was in Jesus' day, not Judaism as we know it today, but pure Judaism was, was correct. And it, it was a relationship with God, and it was a relationship with the other, all Jews, all hmm. together. Christianity, same way. It's our relationship with God, okay, and it's our relationship with other believers. It, there's nothing different about it. So we're not talking about religion, because religion is all about the way we do things. And that's what Buddhism is. That's what Hinduism is. That's what all these other things are, is how you do things. That makes religion. Mm-hmm. But what makes the following absolutely correct is the relationship. Yeah. Well, yeah, I agree on that, too. I think so. <laughs> I'm agreeing with you today. What's wrong with me? But um, no, uh, I, it's that relationship piece of it. And we tend to lose that, and I think, in um, the dogma of the religion and the all the stuff that comes along with it. Um so in that, I kind of want to know this too, because this confuses me. Why are the Bible translations so different? Hmm. Because, you know, I even in the Bible study I'm doing now with Get Out of Your Head, I'm doing Get Out of Your Head with Jimmy Allen, then one with um, Joyce Meyer, and they're like, want to read these different translations, and I just want to know why they're so different. Translations... Uh, I mean, when you have your basic languages, Hebrew and, and Greek are your two basic languages. Aramaic is in there a little bit. But when you come from there, the problem is, is that when they first uh, translated them, I think we were fine. That the Septuagint is, is great. It's a great book. Mm-hmm. But as time goes on, then we want to translate and then retranslate because maybe we don't speak the same way. Maybe we don't think the same way. Maybe this one word is kind of a little bit different. Or we, So we start translating uh, to where, where it becomes easier. Now, you know, I'm not sure. Maybe when I go to, I'm going to Moldova in, in November. I'm going to have to ask this question, see what kind of versions they have. Mm-hmm. Because I know in, in the English, you know, arena, we have too many versions. I mean, yeah. really, we, re- we do. Um, I'm a, I'm a strong component of being conservative. So the ones that I study from are the New American Standard Bible, the New King James Version, not mm-hmm. the, not King James, but New King James Version, and the Revised Standard Version. I also tend to look at, to supplement and look at, um, either the NIV Version and the Jewish Bible. Mm-hmm. So those are, the, those are my groupings. 
when I look at other versions, like, and, and there are, there's stuff out there that are not translations that a lot of people don't understand this. Like your living Bible is not a translation. It's a paraphrase. It's a paraphrase from a guy a long time ago who decided to write the Bible in a way so his grandson could understand it. Hmm. It's a paraphrase. So in that term, it's not going to be accurate. And we have the New Living Translation is almost just as bad. I mean, they, what people were going to do with that was take the Living Bible and make it for today. And then they end up trying to translate it. But it became it became watered down. And so some mm. of the verbiage isn't accurate. So it's not good. I think that we are we've either, we've either become very lazy in our language. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not as articulate in our English. Like I said, I don't know if that's true in other countries. Uh, to me, Spanish is Spanish is Spanish. And I don't know if there's, uh, you know, if it varies like English does. You can go to different parts of the country and, and hear different words that are common or uncommon. And yep, so weird. Different. Yeah. Oh, I know. So it's, and there's a lot of words that you'll say and it's like, what, what is that? And then, you know, it's a simple English word and some people just don't get it. And we're not, we don't have the education like we, we did years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, like if you look at first Corinthians chapter 13, the, the, the love chapter, did you know in the King James version, that word is charity. But now it's, it's it's transformed into the word love, and we've we've changed it. Why? Because we use it that way. But however, the word agape probably translates better to the word charity than it does to love. Interesting. <laughs> because love, because agape means to give without anything in return. It's, it's to give of yourself. It's to give for that person. That's what charity is. Love isn't isn't necessarily that. Love could be oh I feel for you. It could be all kinds of different things. Oh wow, I, I want you. you know. <laughs> Susan, could, he's talking to you. It could well it could be it could be a, a bowl of ice cream, you know. Um, so it could be all kinds of things. And so we, we don't have that translation coming very good over to us. One of the problems in translations is that when you take certain words like pistruo, okay, that's the Greek word that we've translated into the word believe. But the problem is pistuo is an active verb, believe is a passive verb. So what we're doing here is we're we're translating something that doesn't pistuo doesn't have a one word meaning. But they gave it one which mm-hmm. doesn't really fit it 100%, but it's the closest thing you can come to. So but it isn't. It's really a phrase. It means something that we act upon and follow as we're being revealed. Well, how do you put that all in, in the Bible 130 times? You know, that whole couple sentences. I mean, you, you're just going to have a Bible that's huge if you do that to all the, the words. So translating is not all that easy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another reason why we have so many translations. But I think it's important that we stay, and I don't like, because of the political arena nowadays, liberal and conservative. Um, I'm not trying to say that the Bible is one way or the other. It shouldn't be. But we should stay on the conservative side. What I mean by that, we should stay on the side that is translated closely to the original, mm-hmm. not giving it the idea of, well, let's use this word because it, it feels better and it's kind of what we do in our day and age. It may not mean what, what the word says. And so we need to be careful of that. Yeah, and the, those are two terms, too, that can be used in different contexts, the context around it, you know, conservative and liberal. And um, for me, it's just, Jesus, God doesn't care whether you're conservative or liberal and, or Democrat, Republican. Well, that, I say that's being a political con- thing that I'm not even yeah, part of. That's, this, yeah, so. I'm not either. I, it's, yeah. Um, conservative, being conservative, like being, being closer to what's true, like right. to the... To the Bible, like right. You want what, what, what's yeah. most accurate, and that's yeah. why I say that's why I read typically the New King James, the New American Standard, the Revised Standard Version. Mm-hmm. Those really, are, even the New Revised Standard Version is not good. I mean, it's got some things they add in there that just doesn't hold water. Right, and I'm finding yeah. that when I'm kind of going through those different ones that um, Joyce Meyer has us read these different translations from different Bibles. Um, so I enjoy that piece of it because uh, I grew up on King James Version, and that was the only Bible you had to read. And it was the ye, thou, which made great in high school 
because I knew Renaissance language. I could translate it. So it was great for that <laughs> class, senior English. <laughs> but um, makes it harder to, you know, to understand it now. I mean, if you need to and you need to brush up on your English, well, have a dictionary close by. I mean, why be that lazy that you can't? How you many know, people actually own a dictionary? Okay. Most people don't own a dictionary. Most people have a dictionary on here. Okay. Well, there you go. You got a dictionary right on there. <laughs> That's what we did back in, uh, you know, because I grew up in Missouri. So when it was snowing and there really wasn't anywhere to go, I read the dictionary and encyclopedias because there's nothing else to you read. You read the dictionary. Seriously. I did, yes. Wow. I'm that big of a nerd. But I'm not a sci-fi nerd. <laughs> you, you and my wife would get along. She's... She's a dictionary freak. You know how you, using this word in a sentence and totally baffling your siblings is yeah. great. <laughs> uh, it helped me win the spelling bee. That's my too, right? <laughs> okay. Um, so this is from Eastern Europe as well. I'm not sure I understood this correctly, but you said that believing is not believing, but acting. Please explain. We kind of kind of touched on it, but maybe go more in depth. With it. I think this is a, the same kind of uh, what we're talking about. So I'm trying to think. I, I remember what I said when I said those things. When we talk about believing, like when we go into our dictionary, and I don't care if you go into the dictionary, whether it's English or Romanian or Spanish or Russian, you're going to go in your dictionary and look up the word believe, and the word believe is going to be um, defined as something we understand to be true. That is your definition. There's a main problem with that because that's not what the word in the Greek or the Hebrew is. Those words, like in the Greek, is pistuo. In the in the Hebrew, oh, I think it's haman. I think that's the word of what it is. But those are active verbs where believe as mm -hmm. we know it today in our dictionary, is not an active verb. It's a passive verb. Hmm. So when you say verses like, for God so loved the world, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, it doesn't mean that whoever understands him to be true. It doesn't mean that at all. What it means is that whoever believes him, whoever acts upon and follows the teachings or acts upon what is being revealed to you shall have everlasting life. That's what the meaning of it is. So when we say we believe, we're, you know, in the today's term that is translated, not translated, but defined in our dictionaries, it's not the same as the word pistuo, you know, from the Greek that says that we, it is translated into believe that says we need to act upon the teachings of Jesus or the teachings of God. Mm -hmm. Two totally different understandings. However, the problem is they use the one word believe. Right. And we need more leaders who actually study this in the universities who go to their congregations or their classes and teach this mm -hmm. to let them know this here, this word is translated from this word, which means something different. Yeah. And that's what I mean by believing isn't believing, but it's acting. It's because the word pistuo means to act. It means to act upon something that's being revealed to you. It means to follow, become, like a, like a disciple follows. Okay? Believe, the word believe doesn't mean any of that. It just means that I understand to be true, something to be true. Right. Walking the talk. Yeah. Yeah, that's very good. Living the life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I agree. I did that on Sunday. I'm going to tell you the story because you'll laugh. And I'm surprised my niece didn't tell it on Sunday, Sunday school. Or in our Bible study. But um, I was like, oh, I don't want to go Sunday. I'm so tired. I'm just going to do online church. <laughs> and then I was like, Angela, every time you do this, something always great at church. And you just go. Get up. Because the cat's meowing and you need to get up and feed this cat. So I'm like, okay, fine. So I get ready. And I'm a little late to church. But I, I sit in a row. And CBC is huge. It's very large. And so <laughs> I go into a row I never really have gone into because I usually sit in the same place. And um, I sit in the middle and sit on the end. And as I'm standing there, I see my niece's brother. Like, they're literally right in front of me in a row. And that's so that's hard to do in CBC. It's really hard to do. And I'm like, wow, this is convenient. And so, you know, of course, I get Marisa. And, and she's like, jump over. And I'm like, oh, okay. 
Well, that didn't work so well because I had high heels on and I ended up on the floor. <laughs> and then I was laughing that I took my heels off and climbed over. But, um, you know, answering that call, like, you need to go because you need fellowship. You need to do yeah. these things and you need to, to do the things I'm asking you to do instead of things that you wanted to and then justifying it. Yeah. Okay. Do we have time for one last question? I think we do. Okay. I'm going to build on that. So if we're walking the talk, what happens, and this is from the United States, during your talk about ethical standards, you mentioned how important it is to live ethically and live with integrity at your place of work. How is one supposed to live that kind of lifestyle at a job where the management treats you like garbage and makes your life miserable? How do you walk the talk in that situation? You know, I'm really sarcastic. I come off with, all of a sudden my mind goes into something I better not say. <laughs> <laughs> We're happy that God gives us that filter. Sometimes. Well, you know, we're we're taught we're taught to become like Jesus. Now, if we're and Jesus teaches that we love our enemies. So, if we're in a situation, I mean, there's basically there's three things you can do. You can just be a jerk, okay, which is not what I'm going to tell you to do. Mm-hmm. But the Bible says, Jesus, you know, we could. Um, uh, treat them with love, treat them with kindness, um, kill them with love, if you want, if the term is, and win them over. Because the Bible talks and teaches us to win people over that way. And Jesus talks about that. And Jesus, he is our example. He's our model. And that's how he did. He lived in a very ruthless arena. I mean, where people would pick up stones to kill him. I mean, more than once hmm. uh, for talking the truth. I mean, gee, he's, he's, he's telling the truth and he decided to pick up a stone to kill him. I mean, how is that? I mean, right. you know, or he's, he heals somebody, you know, and they get upset because he broke their Sabbath, which is not really the truth. What truth. And um, he says that, you know, well, what's, and he talked about forgiving sins and who can, you can't forgive sins, only God can. And he says, what's harder to do this or that? And they get upset and want to kill him. I mean, so Jesus lived the life that we don't, we hate to live mm-hmm. in our in our workplaces. Mm-hmm. We really do. Um, when I when I, um, I I work at home with my wife, and when I get really frustrated, I just leave the room. <laughs> I can't imagine yeah. you getting frustrated with Susan. Oh. You sure it's not the other way around? No. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you can either quit your job. Yeah. Because there's jobs all everywhere. There's jobs over here or there. I mean, there's places to go. So you don't have to do this. You don't have to live like that in frustration. But if you're going to stay, I recommend that you stay with the idea that you want to live like Jesus, that you mm-hmm. want to love like Jesus, that you want to to show them that Jesus is living in you. And it's by doing, by living this way is how we change our world. If you don't want to live this way and you want to quit and leave, well, that doesn't teach them anything if that's really what you think you can do. I mean, the Bible says that we have power. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, God gave us a power of love, a power within us from the Holy Spirit. Well, then why don't we use that power to love others? In impossible or difficult situations, why are we not trying to win our that part of the world over? Jesus did that. Mm -hmm. He spoke to he spoke to groups that you know he basically, you know, he would tell them that you how do you not know who I am? Moses taught who I am, and they'd yell and scream at him and call him all these names and and stuff and call him a devil. But he stood his ground. And he, he, you know, the only time I ever saw Jesus, other than the temple, get upset. Everybody knows about the temples when he stood there with the Pharisees and called them hypocrites. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he really, he really vipers. He really dug into them at the core because of the way they were living, the way they were treating people. So we could, we could become like Jesus and live that way. And look what, look at the world today. What Christianity has become because of Jesus. So if you can imagine that in your job, in your place of work, in your home, wherever you are, if you live the life and, and try to take on that which Jesus was as him being your mentor, if you will, mm-hmm. then what can you accomplish through him 
in your workplace. I mean, right. that, that, that might be a challenge, but it could also strengthen your life in the Lord. I mean, that's what we're supposed to be doing is strengthening our lives, becoming more like him. If we don't allow those challenges to work at us and we stand up to them with the power of the Holy Spirit, we're never going to change our world. Yeah, I agree. And I always think like when we have those situations, because we all have those situations, I always think of Job. I'm like, oh, I'm in the middle of a Job period, right? Um, but I also find that when you stay with that, right, because a, a harsh world will turn someone away and a kind word will bring them back. But um, I have people say, how can you be so nice? Like you're too nice. And it kind of softens. You see, just see a softening of people and how they react to it. And then they, they tend to change the way they do because there's nothing really they can do because you know where everything lies. You know that yeah. future lies in Christ and that whatever they do or say is not going to really matter Yeah. in the end. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, we went over. Well, <laughs> sorry. okay. Well, we're done for today. I don't know how many questions we, we Um. Yeah, we got six. You got a while, Alan. Okay. So like we have eight. some more for the next <laughs> the next go round. You did well. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the the questions, the answer period, and um, I will. As long as Angela gives me her little information, I will put it on my website so you can see her <laughs> what she does and her business and and her uh, ministry and mm -hmm. her the link to her website if they have a website. We do, and so um, you can we can do all that. But thank you for joining me today. Everyone, you all have a great day, a great week, and aloha. Alan Cutting and the Believer's Journey radio program seeks to teach the Word of God in a clear and practical manner. For more information, please visit the podcast page at am630theword.com.